God, we praise you this morning. I pray that it was an acceptable sacrifice in your in your eyes, God, that our voices were sweet to you. Uh, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. Um, thank you for the Lord's Supper and what that reminds us of. I pray that you'd speak through us this morning. You'd speak through Michael uh, into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We, we sang, Great is the Lord, Most Worthy of Praise. Um, would love to hear this morning briefly um, why He's worthy of praise from you. Share with us, encourage us, why is He worthy of praise from you this morning? Sorry. He provides for us. He provides for us. And to Christ, we can call him Father. Yes. Loves us. He brings snow in the winter. <laughs> and then there's the hope of spring. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, summer. I need, personally, I need those reminders. It's a, a selfish exercise. Um, but hopefully that you're reminded as well. Um, woke up this morning and um, spent time kind of praying and thinking through the morning. Um, and I'm, I'm prone to play the comparison game. So at some point in time on Sunday mornings, uh, after the cat has annoyed me enough and I'm distracted enough from reading and praying, I'll, I'll look at the news. And as I'm, I'm thinking about just, just the headlines this morning um, of Islamic State and what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, and there's a civil war in Democratic Republic of Congo, and the Iran, Israel, U.S. issues that are going on, and you start... Sorry, I start playing this sort of comparison game. Is God concerned about these 50 or so folks that are going to gather in a couple hours? And that's a, a legitimate question that runs through my mind. Of all the humongous things that are going on, um, is God concerned about what we do as we gather um, this morning and, and look at Exodus 12 together. Um, do our problems warrant His attention? 
And, and then it's not too far. I can, I can think about us, because you're on, you're on my mind. I can think about us as a group. Do our problems warrant his attention? Um, and I can narrow that down to, do my problems warrant his attention? Because again, I can, I can play the comparison game. Well, what about those 90 or 100 Christians that were recently kidnapped from northern Iraq? by the Islamic State and their fate that is seems to be assured from the track record that we've seen. One of the, the marks of, of evangelical Christianity is that we believe in a personal God and we believe that we can have a personal relationship with each of the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, through faith in the accomplished work of Christ on the cross, His death and resurrection. We believe that. It's, it's not who I am. It's not who my parents are. It's not where I was born or how much money's in the bank or what I look like, what my nationality is. It's not the decisions I've made in the past, good or bad. It's not my sin. It's not my righteous acts. It's not my good deeds. It is simply based on my faith in Christ's death and resurrection as sufficient payment for the forgiveness of my sins. And as crazy as that sounds, right, that, is, that is my hope and that actually is your hope. It's the only hope that, that you have. Um, because I've got a problem and you have the same problem is that my sin and your sin keeps you from a holy God. And if He didn't make a way, then we have no hope. But we firmly believe that because He made a way, we do have a hope of a personal relationship with this Creator God who forgives and loves and provides and all the other multitude of things that we said just a moment ago. So, personally, I need to hear that on a regular basis because I... I tend to play the comparison game. And I need to be reminded that he's big enough. But then I start thinking about Scripture sometimes. And I think, we say that God is consistent. We say that he's the same yesterday and today and forever. And yet I read the Old Testament and I read things like, in Exodus, God said, I heard the cry of my people. And there seems to be an implication, seems to be an implication that because he's heard the cry of these million or so, it was finally loud enough to get his attention. It was finally hard enough. There was finally enough despair or heartache or longing or need or something. And it was the mass of them or the depth of the despair that sort of caused him to act. And then we read that he's uh, the God of Israel. He's a God of a lot of people. And again, I can start going, well, if he's consistent, if that's who he is, are we making enough noise for him to hear us? These 50 or so folks in this room. And so it's passages like this in Exodus that are an encouragement to me because, yes, God is a God of His people, 
which is a collective, really large group. But he's also personal, and we see that time and time again through Scripture. When I, we first came here, I spent a good bit of time in the book of Genesis, and we talked about God dealing with individuals for the sake of lots of people, in fact, for the sake of humanity. He told Abraham, a specific person, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that one. And so I hope this morning what we see is that God is interested in us, but He's also interested in you, even the least of us in here, the youngest, the smallest. Over just last week and then over the next five weeks, we're going to look at um, Exodus 12 and, and six things that the Passover teaches. Um, that God is a God of, of new beginnings, that there is, and God always has had, an emphasis on family. That there's required preparation. It's centered around a sacrifice. There is a, a call to remember. And there's a call or a required repetition. And we're going to look at number two this morning and then the next four in the next four weeks. So Exodus chapter 12. Um, so I'm going to give you three statements and, and kind of flesh those out one at a time. Number one, despite its national significance, remember we talked last week, it was the beginning of a new nation, it was a new time, it was the beginning of their new year. Despite its national significance, Passover was celebrated in family units. He said, heads of father's households, you get a lamb for your house. This isn't the... The, the kind of the county fair, the, the county-wide celebration we did when I grew up, the county fair was the event of the year. Well, everybody goes, and it's a big celebration, but kids ran off, and adults got together and talked about the weather and everything, and there was, it was a celebration, but right, if I ever had a question from my parents about something like this, who knows where they were, right? And I was off with my friends. There was no, there was no chance of of interaction and, and learning things other than from your friends, and it's always dangerous when you're young to learn things from your friends. Right? Parents, you know that. But despite its national significance, God wanted the people to celebrate this in their homes, behind closed doors, as a family. And if you had a really small family, it was okay to invite your neighbors, but it was your neighbor, people that you should have known and got along with and were already intimate with. Certainly, a Jewish family would probably look different than ours. It probably would include grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins. Nonetheless, it was a family celebration. So, despite its national significance, God ordered them, required them to celebrate as a family for the purpose of teaching children. That sort of just blows me away. Here, here's this thing that, that it, it affects the entire nation, and yet one of, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that you're doing this is because I, I want you to teach your children. We skip all the way down to verse 26. 
And when your children say to you, this is after they've repeated it over and over year after year, when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? Dad, why are we doing this? Why are you killing a lamb and why are we taking all the leaven out of the house? And what? Some of this stuff doesn't taste good. It's bitter. Why are we doing this? Dad, Mom, what's going on? You shall say it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but he spared our homes. It's an opportunity, he says, for you to talk about God's goodness with your kids. It's an opportunity for you to talk about God's faithfulness with your kids. As well as remind you, this thing that we should all be gathering at the town square, right? But what happens when we all gather at the town square? The kids scatter, the parents talk about the weather. But if you do it in your home, kids are more freed up to go, what is this? Big crowd, shh, be quiet, Someone's, the priest is talking. Right? There's no chance for a kid to ask a question. You do it in your house. So despite national significance, Passover was celebrated in family units for the purpose of teaching children. Third, the foolishness of faith. Now think about what he asked them to do for a second. (laughs) Take some of the blood of that lamb and put it on your door and that will save you. Really? I mean, let's just step back for a moment. Does that make any sense at all? Dad, what are you doing? Moms have to clean that up, right? Well, you had a great-great-great-great-grandfather who lived in Egypt. And he did this. And it saved his family and allowed him to have a son who had a son who had a son who had a son who had you. And so we remember the foolishness of your great-great-great-great-grandfather who was foolish enough to believe that God would save them and deliver them from slavery. And God continued to do stuff like that. There's that period of time when they were wandering in the wilderness and there were these fiery serpents that would would bite them. And God says, here's what you do. Moses put a pole up and put a bronze snake on it. And, okay, think about this. You've got at least over half a million people camped in the desert, right? Think how much space that takes up, half a million people, right? That's not going to fit in the parking lot out there. When you get bit, make your way to the center of camp. I don't know how far that is, but think a million, half a million, million, one and a half million people, a bunch of people there. Make your way to the center of the camp. Look at the bronze serpent and you'll be healed. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right? It's foolish, right? And there were probably some people who said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And didn't go. And died. Until word got got round that I got bit, and I went, and I looked, and look, I'm still standing. Right? We had a foolish ancestor who took God at His word. And we still celebrate that because we believe it's important to do. That these things that God has us to do are important. So we, we fast forward about 1,500 years. 
And as we've talked before in here, Jesus gathers his 12 disciples in the upper room to celebrate the Passover. And you go, wait a minute, you're doing it wrong, Jesus. You're supposed to do this in families. You should send Peter and Andrew back to Capernaum. You should send James and John back to their parents. What are you doing? You're not doing it right, Jesus. But Jesus is redefining the family, as he's already done before. Who are my brothers and sister and mother? It's those that do my will. Disciples are the new family. People who have faith in Jesus are the new family. And so as he celebrates the Passover slash Lord's Supper, he's defining a new family. It's those who follow him. It's his disciples. It's you and I together in this room, right? And we're going to do that. We're going to do something he asks us to do, which seems maybe foolish. And so some of the same ideas. Despite, now it's no longer national significance, despite cosmic significance, the Lord's Supper is celebrated in a new family. Right? It's not just about Israel anymore. It's about God so loved the world. And if you think that's all, without the cross, there is no new heaven and new earth. Right? This is about reconciling all things to Himself, not just some of humanity. Right? Because He cares about not just the cosmos, He cares about us, this family, these 50 or so people that are sitting in this room. Despite cosmic significance, the Lord's Supper is celebrated with a new family as a testimony to one another of the forgiveness of our sins. I like that. I get to testify that my sins have been forgiven. But what's sneaky about that is, is that you're testifying that your sins have been forgiven. And all of a sudden I'm going, oh... Well, if God forgave your sins, then maybe I should too. It's an opportunity for us to gather together and think about the fact that not only has God been merciful to me, He's been merciful to you. And should that change the way I treat you? Should that at least make me think about the way that I treat you? It's a testimony to one another as we hold up the bread and the fruit of the vine that I'm forgiven and you're forgiven and you're forgiven. And God's grace is big enough for everybody in here, even if some of those in here's get on our nerves and we don't like them. How can I hold a grudge when the righteous judge has declared us forgiven? So despite cosmic significance, the Lord's Supper is celebrated with the new family as a testimony to one another that our sins have been forgiven and it's also a testimony or a pledge that we have died to sin. I'm testifying to you that I am identifying with myself with the one who died and I have died to sin as well. And you're declaring that. And again, all of a sudden, I think of family and if you're declaring that and you're declaring that and you're declaring that, what is my responsibility to help you 
because I know what a struggle that is for me to daily die to sin. So what is my responsibility to help you be successful in that? That's when we do that together. We, and I would encourage you to look around. Everybody in this room, right, does that. That's what they're, they're proclaiming the Lord's death till He comes. And I'm saying, I'm identifying with that. I'm dying to self. And really what it should be is this corporate cry for help. With fear and trembling, we take that bread and that juice. I'm saying I'm dying to sin, but Lord, I, I need your help. It's at one time a state like, like the man with the, with the demon-possessed son. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. We are fragile people. And it's encouraging to me that you're fragile because you're in the same fight that I am. And those sins that, that, that I struggle with, you know what? I bet someone out there struggles with that same thing. I ought to get to know these people better and figure out how we can encourage one another. So again, all of this that we've talked about, last week about renewal, this week about relations, family relations, right? we do this, it's to prepare for the celebration of the resurrection in a few weeks. And so to prepare for the celebration of the resurrection in a few weeks, we need to focus on the idea of relations. Last week it was renewal. This week is relations. Specifically the people in this room, this new family that we're a part of. So three things I want you to think about this week. I want you to chew on, I want you to mull on three applications of that idea. Number one, by faith, do you believe that God has accepted you into His family? For some of you, that's a difficult proposition. How could He love me? And yet the Scriptures are very clear. Not only does He love you, He's adopted you as sons and daughters. He says, you're a part of my family. And He calls us His family, those that are disciples. You're my mother and brothers and sisters. And that's rather overwhelming. For some of us, we need to dwell on that truth. I'm a child of the King. One of the, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible that, that fleshes that out and talks about His love and acceptance for us is Romans chapter 8. would encourage some of you, you might need to memorize that. Let those truths wash over you. Or read it. Maybe that's something that you sit down and, and read Romans 8 every day this week. Or maybe that's a, a project over the next several weeks. So I'm going to memorize that. I need that truth. That I'm a child of God. Number two. By faith will you embrace the people in this room as your true family? Are the people in this room a priority for you? Do you ever make decisions based on how it affects people in this room? Ugh. That's meddling. But we are. We're family. So shouldn't the needs and the wants and the desires of this group play into some of our decision making? 
Paul tells the Philippians to consider others more important than yourselves. Who's he talking to? The Philippian church. And he's talking to a body of believers, a group of believers, and he says, you should consider others more important than yourselves. Number three, are you participating in growing the family? First of all, I'm not talking about numbers. I'm not talking about putting more people in chairs in this room. First of all, I'm talking about the maturity of the people in this room. Are you using your gifts and your talents to help us grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Our understanding of Him, our love for Him, and helping us learn what it means to be obedient to Him, that He is actually our Lord. Are we using our gifts and talents to help each other grow closer to our Savior? Are we maturing one another in our actions? Because we are family, and I want my family to be strong, right? And and if I or one of you is the, the wayward brother, I hope that one of you would come alongside and say, come back, this family loves you. So it's seeking the maturity of others, but it's also, it is a a numerical issue of adding to God's kingdom. The privileges, the joys, the delight of salvation, do you have a heart that other people would be able to experience the joy that you experience? And again, we're not just talking about Christ Community Church, we're talking about the kingdom. I appreciate the number of people who asked me about Scott's brother, and have been praying for him. The odds of him ever darkening the door of this church are slim to none. But there are many of you that are are deeply concerned about his relationship with God. That's what I'm talking about. And over the course of, of this week and the next week, will you simply ask God, God, give me opportunities to share your love with someone. Not give me opportunities to grow my particular family at Christ Community Church, That may or may not be the result of that. That's sort of irrelevant. The idea is we want God's kingdom to be bigger. We want God's kingdom. There are brothers and sisters out there that I would love to be reunited with. Some of you have been reunited with brothers and sisters that were lost or you didn't know you had. And there's a joy in that. There are some of those living in our community now, dear brothers and sisters, that... Would you ask God to give you a heart to seek them and find them and share with them the joy that you know, that you have? Our desire is to, to grow God's kingdom. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a, as a family. Um, some things I, I want to do to, to prepare our hearts for that. Um, first, I want to, us to listen to some scripture, what it means that we've died with Christ. Someone's going to read some scripture in a moment. Second, we're going to spend just a little bit of time in in quiet prayer as we think about that passage that was read. Uh, As we spend time before God preparing our hearts to celebrate together. And then I have a responsive reading that comes from uh, Psalm 51. We sang that just a a little while ago. Um, The second song we sang was taken almost entirely from Psalm 51. We're going to do a responsive reading together. It'll be, it's in the bulletin, but it's also up on the screen. And then we'll celebrate together the fact that we are a family and we'll celebrate together that we are forgiven and that we have committed ourselves to seeking to die to self on a daily basis. 
Let me pray for us, and then um, Bo's going to read some scripture. Father, we thank you for the blessings of life and family and joy. I thank you for these brothers and sisters in Christ, their encouragement to me, the joy they bring me. God, I long for us and I look forward to the day when we will all be completely renewed. That our our sin will be done away with and you will have made us into something new and glorious. We will be like you because we will see you as you are. God, I pray in the meantime that you would continue to remove the veil from our eyes that we might see you more clearly and thus be like you and be more like you day in and day out. And I pray as we celebrate the Lord's Supper that you would use it to strengthen and nourish our souls. Help us to understand the sacrifice that you made for us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.